right, welcome to another episode of the Area 51 podcast. I'll be hosting today Malcolm Mert, and I'm here with uh, Sam Chang and also uh, Tony Ferrari, our special guest. Uh, Tony, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. Appreciate that. So we thought we'd just do a bit of a dive into the first round of the NHL draft. Uh, you know, I, I was saying that Canucks, we were uh, pretty sure that we would be forfeiting our first round pick to either Tampa or New Jersey here. Uh, and as the days go on, it seems like there's actually more and more of a chance that we actually are going to be able to keep that pick. Uh, so I've, uh, I've purposely not been uh, looking into the prospects as much as I normally do to just try to not fall in love with these players that would be watching in another uniform. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'd love to hear kind of, you know, your rankings. I've actually pulled them up here on my screen so I can kind of follow along and hear uh, some of your thoughts on, you know, maybe guys the connection target, uh, you know, who you have overrated, underrated. Uh, and, you know, just if you have any other particular guys that you want to watch. Yeah, I mean, the Canucks, like you said, they're in an interesting position. They didn't really have the knowledge of whether or not they're going to keep their pick. And to be honest, like most, like you said, most most fans in Vancouver kind of assume that you weren't going to get that pick. So you kind of started looking at second, third round guys. But uh, right now, with, with you guys possibly getting that mid-round pick back, there's going to be a lot of guys and uh, local guys, well, not really local, but not from too far out of the way. Uh, Connor Zaries going to be a guy that's possibly available in that range. Uh, really good 200-foot center. Uh, his skating is, is, is inconsistent, but when, he's, when he gets going, he's good. He's going to need to maybe get a, a little bit of a quicker first couple steps. But he's a smart offensive player. He, he does a pretty good job in the defensive end as well. Uh, you're going to have middle round guys like uh, Marek Kuznadinov or Jacob Perot or a couple other forwards that I like. Uh, Perot is, uh, plays for the Sarnia Sting in the OHL. He played on a really bad team this year. Like Sarnia was pretty awful to watch on most nights. So he was a guy that if you're just looking at the stats and stuff, he still put up over 70 points. He had a really good season on a bad team. But when you watch him play, there were so many times where he would set up a play in front of the net and nothing would happen with it. Or he'd, he'd go to try to be in perfect position and the player wouldn't be able to get a pass through to him. So I think he's a guy that he could end up getting even drafted towards the end of the first round, but he's a player that I'd be targeting in the middle of the round. I have him top 20 right now for myself. Um, defensemen are going to be weird this year. Uh there's a lot of varying degrees of who, how many, how people grade this class of defensemen. And in my eyes, I don't think it's that great of a class. Jamie Drysdale, Jake Sanderson, they're really good defensemen. Um, in my, in my opinion, they top out as number two guys. There isn't a number one guy in this year's draft class. Um, it's not the strongest defensive draft class either. There's going to be a lot of swings on guys that play, teams go. Well, I like these two or three aspects about their game. And I think that's why a guy like Jake Sanderson is going to get drafted a lot higher than I have him, him ranked. I have him at 14. I, I've been pretty adamant all year that there shouldn't be more than one or two defensemen drafted in the top 15, but they're going to be at least two or three drafted in the top 10. It happens every year. Um, Sanderson's one of those guys, though. If he doesn't get drafted in the top 10, it's going to be a shock because he's got the size, the defensive capabilities. He's a responsible puck mover. Uh Teams are going to grab that up. So a guy like William Wallander has a lot of the same aspects as Jake Sanderson, but he's going to be able to be taken a little bit later on in the late teens, in the 20s, maybe where Vancouver's picking. But he's got that the size. He's got better size than Jake Sanderson. I th I think he's actually a bit of a better skater than Jake Sanderson, who's a really really good skater actually. But 
he's raw. He's really raw with his puck movement and decision making. I uh, some of the decisions he makes, you kind of scratch your head and and whatnot. But uh, he's another guy that I think Vancouver could definitely target in the mid mid to late uh, teens or twenties. One of the things I thought was interesting, that's that's great, because, you know, it's a defenseman, it is funny, because, you know, it seems like they always are ranked later on the final draft boards, and then, you know, one or two or three of them kind of sneak up far earlier. You know, we had more each side or going to the Red Wings, I think, a lot earlier than we thought last year. I think Broberg probably went a little bit earlier to Edmonton than people had expected. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that's a good point, because, uh, you know, as you look at a lot of these lists, I think Drysdale is the name that everyone hears, you know, and as he's a right-handed shot, uh, people seem to have some weird bias towards right-handed shot defensemen, but we won't get into another Kale versus Quinn mm-hmm. debate. Um, so, you know, that's and, I, the, and then I was just going to say the person that I'd love to see, you know, right at the top of your or, you know, in that second tier, because I think everyone knows it's going to be Lafreniere and then Byfield uh, yeah. is uh, uh, Lucas Raymond. Uh, you know, as he was kind of following on a lot of people's draft boards, I was screaming, this guy sounds like a lot like uh, this year's Philip Forsberg. Uh, who was a guy that I absolutely loved in that draft year and then fell all the way to 11 to Washington. And then Washington doubled down on that, you know, stupid mistake and traded him to Colorado for a goalie who would do something as uh. foolish as trading a top round pick for a goalie. Right. Uh, but uh, so, you know, tell us what you have identified in, in Lucas Raymond that I, I guess a lot of people are missing on. Uh, Cause again, I, I agree. So I'm just going to go. Yes, you're right at the end of this. <laughs> uh, m- my biggest thing with Lucas Raymond is that, there isn't anything that he's necessarily bad at. He's he's an excellent offensive player. He's super creative with the puck. Uh, he's a, I think he's one of the best playmakers in this draft, but he didn't get to showcase that because he was playing anywhere between six and nine minutes at, in the SHL this year. But he's a guy that when he has the puck on his stick, he can make a difference at any time. And, and when he had the opportunities in the SHL, he, he was scoring at rates higher than both, both Alexander Holtz and uh, Noel Gundler. <clears throat> but he just wasn't getting the same opportunity. Um, the big thing with Raymond is that he's a lot like uh, Vasily Pod Colson, I think, in terms of the fact that he is going to put in an effort 200 feet of the ice. And But the difference with him and Pod Colson is I don't think Raymond has to. Whereas with Vasily Pod Colson, I see he's always doing work. He's always working hard. He's a guy that he's going. I think he's going to make the NHL one day for sure. But I don't know if he has that top end upside, whereas Raymond has that elite upside. I think Raymond could be, I think Raymond honestly has the chance to unseat Quentin Byfield or even Alexis Lavrenia as the best player in this draft class if everything works out for him and he's let let develop properly. Um, I, I love Raymond. I've had him at number three all year long. The only thing I debated on early was maybe switching him and Quentin Byfield at two, so... I, I don't think Raymond's any lower than number three on my draft board as many games as I watch of him. He's one of those guys, I wonder if he suffers from plain name syndrome, uh, which is something that my buddy Kyle Brandt, and I say buddy just because I love the guy so much, he's a good morning football uh, guy, and he always says these guys who have these very boring names, and you know, he talks about Michael Thomas or Mike Evans as you know these awesome wide receivers that people don't really respect as it's kind of a boring name, and you know, Lucas Raymond, he, he barely sounds Swedish with a name like that. So yeah, I always exactly. wondered if, uh, if that's played a factor as well. So who else, you know, I think, you know, the other thing is, you know, everyone reads these lists and, and you know, there, there's definitely quite a bit of variance in them. Uh, so who would you say maybe is, is someone that you think has been generally overrated this year? Uh, and, you know, 
think uh, people are going to regret taking earlier as early as they do? Um, I think any defenseman that they take, and the, if anyone takes a defenseman in the top five, whether it's Drysdale or Sanderson, whoever it ends up being, if someone takes a defenseman over guys like Rossi, Stutzel, Raymond, I think that's going to be a big mistake in a few years. Um, I, I think if Askarov gets drafted later than maybe 12 or 13, I think that team's going to be really lucky and some teams are going to be kicking themselves for, for passing on them. But the guy that I go back to every time, and it's nothing against him, is Jack Quinn. Uh, I see him up on some boards. I see him, I've seen him as high as five or six. And I, don't get me wrong. I think Jack Quinn's an excellent offensive player. He's going to score goals at the NHL level, I think. And, and he scored 50 goals in the OHL in his draft season. That's nothing to, nothing to make fun of or, or talk down upon. But I think there's just not that next level for him. I, I don't know if he... He, he seems to process the game at a high level. He's not terrible defensively, um, but I think he's a bit of a, a one-trick pony in terms of he's, he's going to score goals, and that's it. You can't, you're not going to be able to rely on him to really drive a play or be the, the dominating force on the line. I, I think uh, he got dinged a bit early in the year for, oh, he plays on the Ottawa 67s with Marco Rossi, but they – barely ever played together so he i do give him the credit for being able to generate offense on his own line but he was playing with a little bit of older players at times and i just don't see everything that everyone else is seeing with him because yes the goals are there but his decisions as a playmaker are okay i guess um he gets to the net but he kind of bails really early at times um and my biggest problem with him defensively is, like, he just – as soon as the puck is on one of his player sticks, he's out of the zone. And when a player is a, an extremely fast skater, so a Lucas Raymond or a Tim Stutzel, they can pull that off because they're able to use their skating and be able to stop, turn back, and be able to get back into position if they need to. Whereas Jack Quinn, I find, takes a lot more lackadaisical routes. Like, instead of stopping and starting, he'll, he'll make a big loop around and he'll get back to position eventually, but it's just not always there. And I find he does that a lot in the offensive zone as well at times. Um, his shot is good, but he 50, it's not 52 goals in the OHL good. I think he got the benefit of playing against lesser competition because Rossi did take a lot of the competition up higher away. Um, I, I think he's a good player. And if someone can make an argument anywhere between 15 and 20 even, I'm willing to listen. But there, there's some list where I see him up, up in the top 10 and I'm like, I, I get why 50 goals is 50 goals in the OHL. Like that's impressive, but there's some context that I feel like some people are missing. He's the guy that Sam and I have been joking back and forth, especially after that pick went to New Jersey that we're like, of course, that's going to be the pick that ends up in New Jersey. I guess going back to my name theme, but Jack Quinn, you know, Jack Hughes, our boy Quinn, it just, it just felt like, you know, as a, as a fatalist that that's going to be the, the guy that we end up uh, surrendering if we do. Now, you just touched on another name that I thought's interesting because it seems like, you know, in recent years and obviously not last year because we had uh, Spencer go, I think, 13th overall to Florida. Um, you have, have a goalie in the top nine. And, you know, I think, you know, Sam and I, one of our kind of themes on Twitter is, you know, goalies are voodoo. And, you know, we want to build a team based on defense and solid offense and then, you know, maybe follow a Colorado or a Columbus model, ideally, where your goaltender isn't necessarily the most highest paid or most high profile guy. So, you know, a goalie in the top nine, that always kind of, you know, sets off alarm bells in my head. 
Uh, and I'd go, no, no, please don't take the goalie that early. But, you know, you were saying that, you know, people will regret not taking him if, uh, if they pass on him. So give us a little pitch here for, uh, for you know, a name I'm going to butcher here again if I try to pronounce it. So I'll let you do that. All right. Well, Yaroslav Askarov is legit. That's the only way to put it, really. Um, he's a guy that because of Spencer Knight last year and, and everyone going goalies are voodoo. And I totally agree with you. Goalies are voodoo. But I, I, I try to fight against that in my own evaluations because I want to be able to evaluate goalies. So what I what I did last year is I watched a ton of YouTube videos. I watched a ton of goalie training videos just to try to learn a little bit more about the position because the way I've always put it is the reason goalies don't get scouted as well is because five out of, five out of six of us have played forward or, forward or played defenseman. So none of us played uh, goalie really. And That's then cool people – yeah. So we don't know the position as well. So a lot of times we're like, what's their save percentage? How's their goals against average? <laughs> and like it, both of those stats I find are, are very team oriented, even the save percentage. Because if you're on a team like the Leafs, who I, I love with all my heart, and I had to say that on the <laughs> podcast. But if you're on a team with like the Leafs and you're getting shelled all day long because they have no defensemen, then – that goalie is going to have a lower goals against that or higher goals against average and a lower save percentage. But you put the same goalie in a different situation. You put him on a team like Minnesota or even Vancouver, who I'd argue is a better defensive team than Toronto. And believe me, (laughs) it's a low bar. Yeah. It's not, it's not like you were clear in the top 10 teams in the league. You're like (laughs) fifth from the bottom with the league. Don't worry. We're at least on the same page there. Yeah. But you put him on, like you put Frederick Anderson on a team like Washington, even, and he's going to have way better numbers because he's not dealing with the same kind of pressures. So I think with with Askarov, a lot of people have put him in this like eight to ten range, and I even debated on pushing him up to six in in the in that tier just wow. just to be bold with him. But like I, I think Askarov does everything technically well. He's He's really crisp movements in his in his crease. Uh, the way he works off of his post is something I really really adore, like adore in his game because he's he power he's powerful off his post. But when a, a lot of goalies that are powerful off their post like that, uh, a goalie like Matt Sogard, who was drafted by Ottawa last year, he can pop off his post, use the power in his lower body, but then he doesn't have the ability to kind of stop up, stay in position, or not slide too far. And Askarov has the ability to do that. He's he's technically sound. Uh, the way he gets in, in and out of his butterfly and moves around his crease, like I said, is is, is excellent. Uh, but the thing that I se- think separates him is his ability to track the puck. Uh, you, Whenever I've watched him, he's always got his head darting around defensemen. Kind of, like, I've seen him look through defensemen's legs at times just to keep track of the puck. And he does an excellent job of that. And because he is so athletic, he's able to come out of position when he's not a- able to stay square to the puck and he's able to make that save across the crease because he's able to identify where the pass is going before the puck even gets there so i, I think yaroslav askarov is a guy i'm willing to take in the top 10 any day i I'd argue depending on who i am at number six i'd start arguing with him for there well yeah he's a guy who doesn't suffer from that lame name syndrome that i was talking about for sure he <laughs> yeah. sounds maybe like thor's brother or something like that um I'm going to jump in and kind of move away from the first round for a bit. I know we were going to focus on that, but I, if the Canucks do end up having to give up that first and then they don't have their first pick until the third round, what are some, what are some names that you think the Canucks would target in that round? Well, 
anytime you're drafting outside of the first round, you start to get into the range of what are these, what are the aspects of this player that I like? And, and you go for those because you, you have to put some faith in your development staff to bring the rest of the game along. So one of the players that I really like in the third round, and, and he's probably a bit higher than most people have him, is uh, a Russian center from uh, the MHL, uh, Dmitry Ovchinikov. He's really fast. He's got a ton of skill. Uh, he's super thin, super frail. He needs to put on some size. Um, he's he's pretty decent two-way, two but he's, he's an all-offense kind of guy that <clears> – <throat> has the skill to be a playmaker or a goal scorer. And he's able, and he, everything he shoots from everywhere he shoots from is inside of the dots. And that's something I love about uh, a forward, like that plays the aggressive attacking style that Dmitry Ovchenikov plays. Um, another player I, I think could be good in the third round is a guy like Brock Faber, if he even makes it there. Cause he's a, he's a guy that early in the year, I think he got uh, a little bit of flack for who he was playing with. Uh, he got stuck on a pairing with uh, Tyler Clevin on the USNTDP team, and Tyler Clevin is big, and and sentence. Like there's <laughs> nothing else on it. Like he's a nice kid. I've talked to him a few times, but I, he's a guy that you're going to need to bring his tools on a lot. So Faber was carrying that pair for a long time early in the year, and Faber is an excellent skater. He's six foot about 185 pounds, I think. And one of the big things with Faber I, I love is that he's always winning 50-50 battles in the defensive zone and taking the puck and moving it up ice instantaneously. He's not a guy that necessarily will do something like what Quinn Hughes will do. He's, he doesn't have the dynamic skill to maybe escape behind his net, survey the, the ice and make the decision there. But he's going to take the get the puck out of a one-on-one -on -one battle. He's going to win the battle on the boards or in the corner. And he's going to move it up the boards to the winger. Uh, he's going to be reliant on on the winger needing to be in position. So if there's the winger, it's go, it's going to be a team game that he plays. And he's not flashy. Um, Faber has a lot a lot of skating talent. Um, he's nowhere near Quinn Hughes' dynamic, beautiful stride. But he's a guy that when if you're trying to show a defenseman how to skate, you show him Brock Faber because he's got the edge work. He's got the crisp crisp stride. Uh, he's laterally mobile, so I think he's a guy that projects safely as a really solid second-pairing defenseman. Um, I, I, I've i been raising him up my board slowly this year because, yeah, he's a guy that, like I said, I, Tyler Clevin, bless his heart, he doesn't have the dynamic ability to play in the, uh, the NHL of today. Ten years ago, he'd have been a top-ten pick, possibly. But right now, with Faber carrying that pair, it was... It, it, it was a bit of a struggle for Faber early in the year, but he was able to come into his own as the season wore on, um, as that team got better, because they are an under-18 team playing in the USHL and against college competition. So the biggest thing with Faber was that he was playing better against college competition, I found. he he When the game became a little bit more structured, like the NHL tends to be at times, Faber excelled. So I think Faber is a guy that teams can get maybe in the late second, early third, middle third round and really come away with a quality NHL player. So what would be the knock on his game then? You know, I think, you know, whenever I think of a guy who's, you know, a second or third round pick, there's got to be some knock on his game to, to have him there. Yeah. The biggest thing with favors, I think he just doesn't lack the dynamic ability. Uh, his offensive game is good enough. I guess he's not going to be a guy that scores a ton of goals or scores, gets a ton of points um, against the USHL this year. I think he had nine points in 30 some odd games. 
if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so he's not going to blow the doors off offensively. It it's going to be more of the 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 games you don't notice Brock Faber are the games that Brock Faber's playing well in because if he's doing his job defensively, he's winning that puck battle and getting the puck up the ice to the forward. So if he's winning that puck battle, getting the puck up the ice to guys like JT Miller, Quint, or, or uh, not Quinn Hughes, but uh, Elias Pettersson and stuff, he's that's going to be the kind of position he's going to excel in. Do you have a NHL kind of high-end or low-end comparable for him? Uh, I think he's a pretty solid second-pairing guy. I, I liken him to almost like a Jared Spurgeon, a guy that people don't think of as a top top, top echelon de- defenseman. But if, if Brock Faber hits, like that's the kind of guy he could be because he's got this the the skating, he's got the, the smarts. I think he's a guy that's going to be an analytics darling, similar to what Spurgeon is. And he may not get Norris votes or anything like that if he, if he gets up to his top end upside. And honestly, he probably won't be in that class. So a guy like Jared Spurgeon, maybe Jonas Brodeen, but he's bigger than Brodeen. So like, uh, basically one of the typical like six-foot Minnesota Wild defensemen. <laughs> well, and then not quite there, but it sounds almost a little bit like Dan Hamhuis. Yeah, that's a perfect example, actually. Yeah, you know, does all the little things well, but doesn't show up on the scoreboard, and please don't ever put him on the power play. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I know this one probably is a little bit tougher to, to drill down, but where do you, you know, how quickly do you think or how slow do you think it'll take him to actually play in the NHL? Uh, I think he's going to be a guy that takes a few years in college. I, I don't think he's going to be a one and done. Uh, he's going to the University of Minnesota. So I think he's going to go. It's where he's from. So he's going to go back there. I think he's probably three years in at Minnesota. And then maybe does one of those play the last few games of the season in the NHL. And then from there, he kind of make they, the team would make the decision on whether or not the AHL is the next route. But I think three to th- three to four years is probably the estimate. But if you can get a guy that's playing in three to four years in the third round, you're yeah. that's a great pick. Yeah, absolutely. And that, of course, makes me think about our good old buddy Askarov here, because I think that's another reason that, you know, goalies often drop is because, you know, you don't expect them to play right away. So I know, obviously, you're, you're quite high on him. How long do you think that it's going to be until he, you know, is an NHL, at least backup or, you know, playing some NHL games? Okay, so everyone I've talked to keeps telling me three to four years at minimum. I think Yaroslav Askarov could be an NHL backup in two years. Oh. Um the I, I think that highly of him. He plays pro in, in Russia right now in the VHL. He's excelled there. His few games in the KHL, he's done really, really well. Um, I think Askarov is as polished a goalie prospect as I've ever seen. He's a guy that if if a team kind of gives him the shot in two years, he can easily be a, at least a league average backup. I think with the pandemic and the uncertainty of the next two seasons, really, it's going to throw some stuff into whack and we may not get some of these players into the league as fast as we expect, but in a, in a regular situation, I think two years, he could probably be an NHL backup. Well, fair enough. We certainly won't, uh, you can put a COVID asterisk beside yeah. any of these potential, uh, you know, first game dates. Uh, so I know we got to touch on, and you, you mentioned his name already, but uh, our buddy Sean will not let us uh, live this down. If we don't get you to dive into his favorite Kamloops blazer this year, uh, Connor Derry, uh, you know, maybe is going to be a little too high for the Canucks to actually take if, you know, if we get lucky enough to keep that first round pick this year. But uh, can you tell us a little bit more about him? Yeah, Connor Derry's 
he's the guy that I, all year I've kind of pegged him as the safe guy in the middle of the first round. I still have him as my top WHL player, despite Seth Jarvis insane second half. Um, so clearly I think really highly of Zary. Uh, he's a guy that, like I said, he's going to do things the right way. He, he plays a smart offensive game. Uh, he's got a really good shot and his playmaking is, is better than people give him credit for. Uh, I think he's a guy that he, he did have an older, he does have an older birthday, sorry. And his season last year was massive for a D minus one kid, but the progression this year, he's played a lot more mature, uh, a lot more of a mature game, uh, 200 feet. And the thing that I found with him this year is he's more confident in transition. He's not relying on his teammates to kind of make sure that they get the puck up the ice and then he can do the, the work in the offensive zone. He's taken on more of that role that I, that uh, of transporting the puck up the ice and then making the decision and allowing his teammates to make plays as well. Uh in my opinion, this this season, he's done nothing to, to lower himself from the, the 10 to 15 range, really. Um, 10 to 16. Like I said, mid, mid middle of the first round, if you can get a, a player like Connor Zary, he's one of those guys that he's going to play in the NHL one day, and he may not have first-line center upside, but his, his floor is also a third-line center, I think. So he's going to be a guy that's either your first or second-line center, and he's going to be a, a quality NHL player pretty quickly, I think. Nice. Yeah, you know, it's uh, he could be an interesting candidate. And, you know, I think it's, you know, centers and defensemen uh, typically get overdrafted just because of the value that that skills uh, put on them. Uh, another guy I wanted to ask about, you know, to go the other way with the the all name team now is Cole Perfetti. Uh, I've seen, you know, people, some are really high on him. Some are really low on him. He seems to be one of those guys that's, you know, got quite the volatility depending upon where he goes. So, uh, I see you've got him here at eight, which I'd say, you know, is fairly relatively high uh, compared to where I've seen uh, him, you know, around now. So what are your thoughts on Cole and, you know, what are your pros and cons there? Well, I, I'm a big fan of Cole Perfetti's game. He's a guy that he he plays a really intelligent game. The guy that a lot of people like to compare him to because he doesn't have the greatest skating stride, but he he doesn't get credit for being at least a, an above average skater. But is John Tavares? He plays that not necessarily fast, dynamic game, but he's slow. He's methodical. He knows what he wants to do with the puck. He knows where his teammates are at all times. And regardless if it's if it's him that's in the best chance, best spot to score, or his teammates, the puck's going to that stick, and they're go, it's going to the back of the net. Uh, he's a guy that just generates offense off the wing. Um, I think he he played center at times this year, and a lot of people have him listed at center. I have him listed as a left winger because that's where I think he's going to play in the future. And as soon as they got Nick Suzuki uh, at the trade deadline, they moved Perfetti to the wing, and that pairing became just one of the most dynamic pairings in the in the OHL this year. Uh, I think Perfetti is going to be a guy that he'll, he'll, he'll go as far as his, his, his head takes him. He's super smart, like I said. Um, the shot is unbelievable. Like he has one of the best shots in the in the league, and, and I mean we all seen at the Helenka Gretzky Cup last year where he was nicknamed Gold Perfetti. And the thing that I I I was a little low on him after the the Helenka because I felt like everyone was hyping him up for it. So I felt like all right, there's got to be something else into his game. I want him to be a good playmaker too. I want to see him do like see him facilitate the puck. And then he shot two percent through the first month and a half of the OHL season. And still was second in the OHL in points. He he just as soon as he got back to the OHL, he became playmaker Perfetti. It, it was exactly what I wanted to see. 
Um, I have him at eight, but that entire tier basically from Lundell, Holes, Perfetti, Askarov, and Drysdale, I could just switch any of them around anytime because I, I, as I was making my rankings, I'm like, I like this guy at six. No, I like this guy at six. No, this one. So honestly, I think Cole Perfetti, if he gets drafted fifth or sixth overall, a team's going to be really happy with him. Nice. Uh, Sam, anyone else that you saw on the list that you want to ask about? No, I actually, I'm going to go a little bit off the board here, and I'm not asking about this year's draft. I'm going to get a little ahead of myself and kind of looking at the 2021 draft. Who do you kind of, who are you kind of keeping an eye on for the next year? Well, the big, like the 2021 draft with the 2020 draft being pushed back, a lot of people are, are, either saying you know what i'm done with 2021 or i'm done with 2020 moving on 2021 and i've kind of tried to avoid completing this year and starting next year but in that in that sense i start watching the the next year's draft class around january really intensely so uh, there's a lot of guys like one of the guys that i know uh, sean's gonna love next year is well he probably loves him now is logan stankoven uh, he plays on cam loops as well. He's just so much fun to watch. He's, he's a little smaller, but he gets around the ice. He he's got a great shot. Like he, he's he's almost the opposite of Cole, or, or of Connor Zary, where Connor Zary is the safe player. Logan Stankoven's the exciting player. So they kind of foil each other that way. I think he's going to be a really good player. Um, I, I think next year is the year to get a defenseman. If you want to draft a defenseman in the top ten this year. Take that risk if you want, but just wait till next year, in my opinion. Draft the high-end offensive guy, because next year there could be seven guys, seven defensemen in the top ten, in my wow. opinion. Like, you have the top-end guys of Carson Lambos, who plays out in the dub. Uh, you have guys like Brent Clark in the OHL and Luke Hughes, Sean Barron's at the NDT, NTDP. Uh, Owen Powers is going to be dominant in the NCAA as a Frenchman next year with Michigan. Uh, Aiden Reschuk is another NTDP kid that's going to be really, really good. He plays a quiet game. Uh, similar to Brock Faber, but a little bit more higher end. Uh, next year is is going to be a fun year for defensemen because there is a lot of really quality defensemen, and the forward group is meh. Uh, the, one of the interesting things for next year, though, is there's no clear-cut top-end guy. Um, there's no Lafreniere. There's not even a Stutzel, Raymond, or a Byfield, or a Rossi. Uh, the best forward next year right now is kind of an Asurasu, who plays in the, the Liga in the Finland. He's a good center, a strong center, a guy that I kind of liken a little bit to Cole Perfetti, actually, because I don't see the, the explosiveness in his stride necessarily, but he's a smart player. So I think this year is the year you go for a high and forward, because if you want Aturati, you can get Cole Perfetti at eight. So next year, just heavy defensemen. It's going to be tons of really good defensemen in the draft. And it's good because this year really doesn't have any or as much. That's interesting. So, you know, bringing it back to the Canucks a little bit, as we are narcissists here, uh, you know, if you had the option, because, you know, God knows what's going to happen here with this first round pick. If you were the Canucks, would you keep the first round pick this year at risk of, of course, having a higher lottery pick next year? Or would you play it safe, forfeit the 2020 pick, assuming it's in that kind of, you know, 8 to 12 range, 8 to 16 uh, and, and gamble? Put on your team uh, if, if I'm a GM, I'm taking the pick this year. Uh, the 2020 draft is, I, I think there's probably 10, 10 to 12 guys that could probably realistically be top 10 talents in this draft or top five talents in this draft. Sorry. Um, 
Like, if you were to tell me Jake Sanderson or a guy like Jan Meisak goes in the top five, I'd be like, ooh, I might not have done that. But in most years, like, I'm fine with that. Um, next year, I think, is going to be a bit of a weaker draft in terms of high-end talent. So if you can get that pick in the top 10 to 12, 15 range in this year's draft, I think that's that's worth a top five pick in next year's draft, possibly. That's kind of where I'm at, too. But uh, I run into some opposition when I say that on Twitter. <laughs> well, not only that, but like the Canucks aren't five years away. The Canucks are like maybe six months away from being really, really good, I think. So in my opinion, don't push off getting a high-end talent to next year. Just take the high-end talent this year and sacrifice next year's a little bit. Um, like I said, maybe they draft a guy like Jake Sanderson at eight or something, and or they, they can get – or Jamie Drysdale drops a little bit. Um, that that's a, a perfect eventsman to put on your back end to grow with Quinn Hughes for the next 10 years uh, if you really want a defenseman. But then there's guys like Alexander Holtz or, or uh, Cole Perfetti who are going to be really, really high-end scorers. Um, a guy that I think could really, really fit in, in Vancouver for this year, though, and I can see falling despite where I have him ranked, is Anton Lindell. Uh, there's so many people that I've, I've talked to that are souring on him because he's not the flashiest guy, but like neither's Patrice Bergeron. And that's the player like I liken him to. He, Anton Lindell, I've had anywhere between four and six all year long because I think he has legitimate 30 goal upside and the ability to win a Selkie trophy or five. Like he's that good defensively. I love this kid. Well, yeah, I don't think a lot of people would bite their tongue if they found out they're getting Patrice Bergeron. So that's yeah. uh, that's a hell of a player. So before we let you go, uh, not sure if you've because uh, he's a, you know been drafted a couple years ago, but the Canucks uh, prospect Jack Rathbone uh, playing at Harvard currently. Not sure if you're super familiar with him, but he's a guy that we don't actually hear a ton about over here in Vancouver. And, you know, we don't have a ton of defensive prospects. So what are your thoughts on him? Because we really need him to sign and pan out. Well, I think he's a, a player that will pan out. I I, I really like Jack, Roth, Jack Rothbone. Uh, he's a guy that uh, I didn't really know a whole lot about. And then Cam Robinson, the managing editor at Dauber Prospects, just kind of brought him up to me one day in conversation. And I'm like, who is this kid? And then, like, I went back into some video that I have archived on my computer and went back to some Harvard games I'd had, and, and he's showing up in the assists, and he's he's a guy that I had clips of, and I didn't really even realize it. And he's, he's a guy that I think he's going to be a really good puck mover from the back end. Uh, he obviously doesn't have the same high end upside as Quinn Hughes. I don't think he's going to get to that level. But I think he's going to be a guy that is going to be a second-pairing defenseman. He's going to be able to kind of drive that second pairing as well. I don't think he's going to be the number four guy on that pairing. Um, I, I think he's a really, really good pick pickup for Vancouver. If they can, when once he gets into that camp and he gets going with the team, I think I think he might need a little bit, a few, a couple months to catch up to the NHL pace of play. But I don't think he's really going to need too much AHL time, if any at all, really. Well, you love to hear that. So uh, we love to uh, just give you a last thought here. Anything that you want to talk about or plug or have a last word, essentially. Uh, so if there's uh, anything that you'd like to discuss before we let you go, here's your shot. Uh, well, the first thing I'll say is don't draft a defenseman in the top five. Um, it doesn't need to happen this year. But uh, no, I, I you can find me at, on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari. Uh, most of my work's over at Dauber Prospects now. We got a ton of scouting stuff going up. The draft guide actually just went out as well, so 
you can go check that out. There's a ton of stuff in there. Uh, prospects from every team, including the Canucks, all the way to the top 107 draft prospects for this year's draft. So there's tons of content in there. But uh, yeah, just find me at Dauber Prospects on Twitter. I'm always happy to talk prospects. Appreciate it. You've uh, been a pleasure to have on. You made our job really easy. Yeah, thank you very much. I like talking, so it helps. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we'll uh, catch you next time, buddy. And we'll uh, best of luck uh, ahead of the draft and with everything else going on. Yeah, you too, guys. Stay safe. Thanks, Tony. Bye. All right. That was easy peasy lemon squeezy. Yeah. I Joined now with uh, the draft guru, Kyle Pereira. How's it going, Kyle? Going well. How are you? I'm, it's going good, man. Uh, been a little bit since we've talked last. I know uh, we were writing at the same site a while back um, and kind of lost touch for a little bit there, but it's nice to nice to talk to you again. You as well. Awesome. I know you've been a busy guy, obviously, with uh, the draft coverage and everything with Puck Pros. I've uh, been doing lots of great work there, so if anybody hasn't, um, already been following you there at Puck Pros. I, I highly recommend to do so. Uh, we did want to just talk about a couple prospects uh, today. Um, I know that you had two names that really jumped out to you that you wanted to talk about. This is kind of a funny draft, of course, with everything that's happening right now. We don't even know when the draft will actually take place. Uh, right. Obviously, it'll be a virtual draft whenever that does happen. Um, and then, of course, we don't know really where anybody's going to pick. Usually at this point, we know exactly where everybody sits as far as the draft rankings go and, and wherever the buddy's selections are going to be. And for the Canucks, even more so because we don't even know if they'll be picking in the first round or not. We may or may not have a first round pick for this year. So uh, let's start. I know one of the guys that you had is kind of sitting right around where the Canucks would potentially pick if they do have a first round pick this year. And uh, that's Anton Lindell. Do you want to kind of go into what you've seen in his game? Yeah. So uh, Anton Lindell is kind of like a consensus top 20 pick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people, for the most part, have him in the top 15, but I've definitely seen him around 20, sometimes outside of the top 20, um, which to me just doesn't make sense. And I know uh, a lot of people touch on, oh, he doesn't have offensive upside. His lack of offensive skills is kind of what holds back his potential. So some people question that. And so I decided, you know, why not go into it? Like, he's ranked in the top 15, top 20 for a reason. He has to be skilled enough offensively to warrant that kind of ranking. So saying he has no offensive upside or very limited offensive upside, to me, just doesn't sound fair. Um, So I wanted to go into that a little bit. And my main focus was on his defensive game, since that's his biggest strength. So I watched, uh, I want to say, four or five games. I think it was five games um, on Lundell and just watching his positioning, going into detail in the defensive zone. And from occasion, you know, seeing him jump into the offense and seeing what he could do there. And to me, he pops out as like a Patrice Bergeron, Sean Couturier, uh, Anthony Sorelli is another name that really struck me uh, as a comparable. Because when you look at Sean Couturier's uh, scouting report, a lot of people were saying his offensive upside limits his potential. And that's why he wasn't drafted in the top five and he fell to number eight overall to Philly. And look how he's turned out. He's had yeah. back seasons of I believe over 70 points 75 points so Sean Couturier really turned out well and a lot of people didn't give him enough credit because they were all so focused on his defensive game because that was his apparent strength so with Lindell I feel like it's the same thing people are watching him and going into his defensive game and not really paying attention to his offensive skill set and just not giving him enough credit there 
And it didn't help that he played in a men's league, which generally young kids don't get enough ice time, don't get enough opportunity to really showcase, you know, what their upside is in the offensive zone. Um, so just watching him play, I noticed he has an incredible shot when he gets a chance to get it off, especially on the rush. Uh, there were a couple of times where, whether it was on the power play, even strength, he enters the offensive zone and just lets a shot loose. And he has a lot of power behind it. Might not be the most accurate, definitely a little inconsistent, but he definitely has a lot of power behind the shots. And uh, it's impressive to me for someone with no skill, um, no offensive skill, as a lot of people say. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, he definitely jumped off the page for me, especially um, going in, not really having a lot of film on him prior. And just for the most part, reading what other people had to say and seeing how they kind of didn't give him enough credit offensively. So seeing him pull off a lot of those shots, his offensive zone positioning with and without the puck is really good as well. And uh, I've seen a couple flashy plays from him. He might not be the flashiest, but he's definitely, he has his moments where he'll pop off the page and make this crazy pass or fire shot that goes bar down. He has a tendency to pop off the page. He might not be mm -hmm. the most consistent. He's not going to be a Connor McDavid or anything like that, but he definitely brings enough offense where he could be a potential 50 point scorer or even reach the level of Sean Couturier. Uh, another one is Anthony Sorelli. I remember reading a, um, a scattering report on him after he was getting drafted. A Tampa Bay Lightning reporter said that they, um, you know, he's most notable for his overtime winner in the Memorial Cup, I believe it was. And, you know, but that's not any reason for us to get excited about him. He has no NHL potential. And now he's in the running for the selfie. He's the second line center on an absolutely stacked Tampa Bay team. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like when it comes to, you know, players like that, who are really well-known in the defensive zone, I feel like people look past their offensive skills because, hey, this guy's good in the defensive zone. That's what we need to focus on. And then they just completely lose sight of his offensive game. So for me, I have Lindell. I believe I have him ranked eighth or ninth. He's definitely in my top ten. And a lot of people definitely question that um, strictly because those are the same people that don't think he has a lot of offensive upside. So for me, if he falls outside the top ten, whoever lands him, between 10 to 20 is going to have an absolute steal like Sean Couturier was a steal for Philly at eight. Uh, Sorelli was a steal in the third round for Tampa and Bergeron was a steal in the second round for Boston. Uh, he's definitely, he definitely has that potential to be one of those big steals. Well, that's huge. Cause I know like you kind of touched on it about how if a player doesn't have that offensive side to their game, uh, they get overlooked a lot. And, and yet, as we go on, when people, if you were to ask people who are the most valuable players that you would want to have on your team or that you covet the most, people would point out the Bergerons and the Sorellis and the Couturiers because that's ultimately how you win is not just with pure firepower, but a forward that is able to lock things down and help uh, defensively and have that be their strength with the offensive upside that uh, they're able to hone in later. And and if Lindell is able to kind of go in that same grain, uh, that's that's enormous um, for whoever is able to pick them. I know, um, like you touched on with Sorelli, like being being kind of overlooked, and then even after he was picked, everybody was just kind of still writing him off. Nobody was talking about Sorelli, and, and he just seemed to come out of nowhere for everybody. But uh, if Anton Lindell is able to do that, that's that's an enormous upgrade and um, huge win for whatever team's able to pick kind of in the middle of the first round there. Right. I know too with like, he's playing in, in Finland in the, in the Finnish elite league there. So 
I, I mean, he's playing against men. His numbers aren't going to be generally that outrageous um, anyways. So he could have a lot more upside than we even know about. And and seeing that those glimpses of high ho- hockey IQ that you referred to, his, his passing, his his shot, is the power behind the shot, it's, it's going to be a matter of time before that that power of a shot is able to be kind of more dialed in to to be more accurate and more consistent. But I, I think that's one of the things that's tough is we've seen such incredible talent coming in through the draft for years that we almost forget that these kids are still not there yet. You know, like we, we expect them almost to be, okay, well, perfect. This is what he is and this is how he's going to step in. But they're still honing their craft. And and if they're able to to pick up a couple things that are very learnable um, and not so much talent based, more of a skill based, that, that's a huge upgrade. And that's somebody that you can actually now work on and, and develop. And um, I know that the next one that you had there on the list, one that I'm actually not familiar with at all. So I I'm excited after this interview to go and, and kind of do a deep dive into uh, Tristan Robin. Uh, who you are a big fan of for kind of the second, third round picks there. Uh, so potentially a sleeper pick if he slides uh, to the Canucks third round pick. Uh, tell us about Tristan. So uh, Tristan Robbins, one of the biggest knocks just right out of the gate is his size. He's 5'10", 174. So he is a smaller player. So with smaller players, obviously there's a concern of whether they can hold up, especially since he's a center. Centers generally need to be bigger to you know deal with the NHL and the, the defenseman, obviously, but you have to be big enough to play in the NHL to a, to a degree. Obviously, it's translating to smaller and shiftier and faster hockey players, so he will benefit from that, especially if it continues to go further down that path. But generally, centers tend to be bigger. They have to deal with a lot more than what wingers have to deal with, especially in the defensive zone. So for Tristan Robbins, size is definitely an issue, but he played wing his rookie year in the WHL with the Saskatoon Blades, so he has experience on the wing as well, so he shouldn't. it shouldn't be too big of an ask to have him transition to wing at the next level. Um, so currently he's ranked all over the place. You have Central Scouting, who has him 86th among North American skaters, which kind of puts him like fourth round, fifth round, doesn't wow. get enough. Uh, Elite Prospects has him at 51st. McKean's Hockey has him at 55th. And then Future Considerations has him at 69th. So you can see there's a lot of Just everywhere. rankings. Correct, yeah. Um, so obviously, again, he's a smaller skater, uh, smaller forward. So with smaller guys, you know, especially guys who don't have enough skill to kind of... So if they're not a great skater, you hope that they have enough skill to kind of hide that. For Robbins, he doesn't have to hide his skating. He's not a highly touted player, and if he wasn't a good skater, he wouldn't be one of the one of the guys I'd be talking about right now. His skating is unbelievable. Uh, I broke down his skating on my Twitter uh, in a thread. Um, I watched his skating for the first couple of videos. I got clips, slowed it down, I watched his technique, and he is so technically sound with his strides. Uh, I know Tony, who you had on the show earlier, uh, he talked about how he told me he needs to be more explosive with his first couple of strides. And watching film, I don't think he does. Uh, especially, <laughs> I'm sorry, Tony, but uh, at his age, <laughs> and, uh, the fact that, again, he's not really well known. I think his skating as it is right now, obviously, even if you're an elite skater at the NHL level, you're never going to not stop working on it and getting better at it and improving because the game's always evolving. So obviously he does need to continue to work on his skating. Every little thing matters. Explosiveness in his first couple strides, his overall speed, everything's going to matter down the stretch. He's going to have to continue working on that. 
and honing in on his craft. But as it currently stands at his age and where he is currently ranked, I think his skating is phenomenal. And I don't think he really could have been much better at this point in his career. Obviously, you can be. There are better skaters than Robbins. But for where he's ranked, he's an unbelievable skater. He's so fast, and he knows how to use it, too. And um, I know Sam Turpak, who also works with Tony at Dauber, talked about effective skaters are skaters who can accelerate and decelerate with ease, who can control the puck at high speed. Because if you're a great skater but you can't control the puck, you're not a great skater. Because yeah, you have exactly. to slow your game down in order to do what you need to do. And Robbins can do just about anything at high speed. Skate uh, with the puck. He can dangle at full speed. He can uh, decelerate and catch the defenseman off guard. There's one clip in particular on my Twitter where he was coming in fast on a two-on-one, and he slowed down effortlessly. The defenseman got too far back, lost his gap control, and laid out to block the pass, and he saucered it over his stick right onto the tape of a teammate who ended up scoring the goal. So he knows how to use his skating. He knows how to just use his uh, acceleration, deceleration, everything. He's just a supremely skilled skater. And that right there, to me, tells me he has a really strong foundation of making it to the NHL, uh, just skating in general, and the fact that he knows how to use it. Uh, stick handling is another thing that jumps out. When you watch Robbins, he's definitely a flashier player than most. Um, he likes being able to just dangle, and sometimes he overdoes it. Um, but there are times where he's you know, skating up ice full speed, someone goes to throw a poke check, and he just effortlessly avoids it and just burns them wide or uh, just cuts through the neutral zone with ease, just unbothered by stick checks. He's just so good at controlling the puck, uh, just good at dangling and getting around guys, beating them one-on-one, stuff like that. He's really, really good with his hands, and that's another advantage, especially since he can do it at full speed. That gives him a whole other dimension to his game because then you can, if you can beat the defenseman that way, just going through him or going around him, defensemen aren't going to know how to defend against you. And then exactly. if you work on shooting or passing, once you get past that defenseman, it's it's over. You're going to score almost every single time. So I feel like he his game right now, if you are able to train him and develop him properly, he could turn out to be an absolute stud at the next level with just those two qualities alone. Um, which brings me again to his passing and shooting. He is not a very consistent shooter. There are times where, you know, especially on the power play, they set him up on a shooting side on the power play there in Saskatoon. His one-timers are brilliant. I love watching him let off one-timers. His accuracy is great. His power is great. But that's at a standstill on the power play. Now you can utilize that at the NHL level, obviously. That's Ovechkin's bread and butter, standing yeah. at the top of the face-off circle and letting bombs go. So it's not unusual to see a player succeed off that. But he needs to get more consistent when it's not on the power play and it's not just a one-timer. Uh, so that's one area I guess you can uh, you can critique on Robbins, but overall his shot is is strong right now. But it does it definitely does need more developing. Uh, and as for his passing, he's got good vision. And again, with his skating, he's able to open up passing lanes with his own feet and with his own stick handling abilities, he's able to open up passing lanes like that as well. Um, so he needs to work a bit on his passing accuracy and power, knowing how much to put on a pass and putting it in the right spot more consistently. But again, I think he has the fundamentals with his skating and stick handling that he opens up enough passing lanes that if he can get better even a little bit with his passing, he can exploit defenses consistently at the next level. Um, so a lot of people, you know, obviously he's flown so under the radar. So many people haven't heard about him. And to me, it's mind blowing because watching his game, he pops off the page. He's, he was the leading scorer on Saskatoon. So a lot of people who haven't heard about him are probably wondering, well, why haven't we heard about him? Right? Exactly. Yeah. One of the big reasons why you haven't heard about him is because of his rookie year in Saskatoon. He played 
hold on, I have it right here, 68 game? Yeah, he played 68 games. He had 25 points. He was playing mm-hmm. fourth line center or third line on the wings. Uh, and that's because he was limited behind Kirby Doc and a bunch of other centers on that Saskatoon team in 2018-19. Yeah. They just, he couldn't find a bigger role on the team because there were so many older players and players that had much more trust from the coaches that he wasn't able to push for a top six role in his first year. So it was, he was extremely limited in that sense. Um, I actually went on pick 224, which is a, an analytic site. And uh, he went from 1327 uh, time on ice to eight, over 18 minutes of time on ice. So he went from 13 and a half to 18, which a big any, jump. any player that gets the big of a jump is going to see a big improvement. So for him, it was just he was given an opportunity to take a role in Saskatoon, and he went away with it. Uh, he scored 33 goals and 40 assists for 73 points in less games, 63 games. So you can see once he was given that opportunity, he just went with it and made the best of it. That's huge. And I know, like, I, I like this pick because the the things that are his strong suits that you bring out, uh, that's where the NHL is trending. Right. Like it's not going around the big bodies that can hardly move. And it's all about strength and power. It's it's about uh, shiftiness and speed and uh, ability to be deceptive. And if you're able to use your your stick handling and your skating to both uh, assist in your deceptiveness for uh, for defenses, that's a really difficult thing to defend because you can blow past guys. You could have them end up going right past you with your uh, deceleration. Uh, it, it puts a lot of tools into your arsenal uh, to be able to use. And and uh, for a later pick, it's pretty exciting to see. And I think this speaks volumes to the draft that we're about to have. Is just how deep this draft is when you have a guy that's over a point per game in the CHL, in the WHL, um, and he's now ranked, in some cases, 80 80 plus overall right and i think most consensus consensusly it's probably more around the 50 to 60 range as you were saying but there's outliers that can say that he is that late because of just how deep this draft is and and uh, i can size will always be a knock i think for most guys but at this point i think even the the most stubborn hockey men are starting to see that you don't need that size anymore we've seen success from some pretty diminutive uh forwards in the league even defenders now um and uh they've they've been able to make a huge difference uh even without having all the the size uh, above six feet so um it was awesome having you on i, I love hearing uh, a couple new name or a couple names one new one in particular that now i'm excited to go and do a lot of research for with tristan robbins but um, I just wanted to give you this opportunity here to plug um, yourself on Puck Pros or any other projects that you might be working on here. Uh, so recently I'm uh, doing a seven-round uh, lightning-specific mock draft. I know this is a Vancouver uh, podcast, but hey, that's there, fine. there are a couple late-round gems that I'm going to be going into that I think would be a nice addition um, based on research that I've done for the lightning. So it might still be interesting reading up those small little scouting reports on those players. Uh, another thing I'm working on is looking at draft fits based on tangibles like height, weight, and seeing what teams you know, prefer what kind of heights. So I did do Vancouver with that based on their general manager and his history in the draft and what players he selected there. So I don't know what Bennings is off the top of my head, 
Um, but I definitely went into that and tried to find fits based on those tangibles. So I think that's going to be interesting. I'm going to be publishing a Vancouver one shortly once I get back on that train because I've been a little bit lazy, a little bit behind on that. <laughs> I think focusing a little it's bit a too COVID. much. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I'm working on a few projects here and there, and hopefully I'll be getting them out shortly. Awesome. Sounds great. I look forward to reading that piece. You'll have to DM me to make sure I don't miss that. Of course. That, yeah, I want to I see that one for sure. Um, All right. Yeah, but it was awesome having you on, man, and enjoy the rest of your weekend. You as well. Thank you for having me. Awesome to have you on, Dwayne. Um, big fan, uh, of course, of your the rant, the epic rant that that really put you kind of in the household name uh, status in Buffalo on the radio there, calling out the Pagulas. Uh, and honestly, the the we'll call it as we see it, the mess in, in the Sabres organization. Um, and then recently you were on TSN out west here uh, talking about it with the unprecedented firings of 22 individuals in the Sabres organization. Um, just kind of going, I want to go back to that rant because I remember when it dropped uh, and everybody running around with the hashtag, we are all Dwayne. And I'm not a part of Buffalo Sabres Twitter. I've, I've only really interacted. It's a dark, it's a dark it. place, man. It's a dark place. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dark place, man. You know, yeah, I can imagine. Because uh, when I'll I say, saw it, I'll, I went back to that and I, I found it and it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I'll say this. Um, initially, when I was, initially, when I was on hold with the station, because, you know, I'm a regular caller in there. Um, and I was sitting on hold, maybe like 15 minutes. And I was just going through like Twitter, you know, going down that rabbit hole of just the negativity of what was going on. Because we had just come out of the all star break and we were really set up to we were playing a lot of teams below us in the standings and we were like we were set up to immediately make a run at this and and I I go to that Ottawa game man and it was the most dreadful game I think I've ever watched in my life it was the closest thing to the previous season after the 10 game winning streak when everything just went downhill and uh just like you know I, I brought my sister you know, to her, not to her first hockey game, but me and her together, you know, as a season ticket holder. And she, you know, she's that whole ignorant as bliss thing where she doesn't really know what's going on. She's enjoying herself. She's, you know, she's like, you know, oh, this looks cool. People are hitting each other, you know, people are cheering, whatever. And uh, she just, she, she's, she's just too ignorant to know like how miserable that game was. And she, she enjoyed herself <laughs> to a certain extent, but I'm just like, I remember just sitting here thinking about all that and just, reading all the shit on Sabres Twitter and you know I started to go like you know if you remember in the beginning of the call I, I said you know Bulldog let me just organize my thoughts here as best I can you know just give me a minute here and you know at one point like I kind of got caught up in my words you can tell there in the beginning and then I it, literally like a light bulb went in my head and honestly and you know hand to God hand to the headstone of my mother I, I literally just said in my own head fuck it, go. And I just yeah. lost it. <laughs> lost it. Um, yeah, it, it just, it was wild, man. And, um, you know, it, it, I didn't expect, you know, what happened in the aftermath of it all to actually happen. Um, that was wild. But, you know, that's just like, you know, I felt 
I, at the time, now looking back at it, I feel like this, I was just kind of speaking for, you know, uh, you know, for Sabres fans everywhere, the, the diehard fans. It was just like, what have we been doing for the last fucking decade? We're in five years into Jack Eichel's career, and the guy has not made the playoffs. Like, you can see it. You can see it in his body language, his facial expression. He's just like, dude, what the fuck? And you just, you know, you know, I, I love to quote, use this quote. It was like, I kind of became, you know, the voice of the voiceless, uh, you know, humble CM Punk, uh, you know, plug there. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big wrestling mark too. Yeah. Anytime you can me. plug a, a WWE clip, you take it. I totally do. That oh too. yeah. And, yeah. Loves um, the- yeah, man. Yes. It's not what it, it's not what it used to be, but uh, I, I still watch like a nerd. Um, but yeah, I, it was, it was wild, man. And then the hashtag we are all Dwayne started and it just took off. And then I ended up going to the next home game after that with uh, a friend that I actually met, uh, because of all this, my buddy Tristan <laughs> through train wreck sports. And, uh, we went to the game. We did our first crossing swords podcast at the game, which they call the, uh, key bank library because nobody's ever allowed anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's definitely not what it used to be back in the, in, you know, back in like the mid two thousands when the team was, team was good. And, uh, just, you know, taken back by all of it, man. Like I had people from, you know, between Barstool, you know, NBC, Yahoo Sports, just, all of them just writing articles about me. John Vogel from The Athletic wanting to interview me. Steve Dangles in Toronto. And I, had, I, I dropped on his podcast. You know, uh, TSN. It was actually funny. The TSN is a TSN in Toronto. And it was, they, they actually ripped me to shreds, yeah. like, the next day. Um, not Jeff O'Neill, not O'Dog and all them, but, like, uh, it was the, the show before them. They told me I was – they said I was a narcissist. And they made fun of me for – you know, being upset about, you know, my sister's first, like, they just like made fun of me. It was just like, what, what, what did you guys get out of that? Like, how, what, how am I a narcissist? What? Like, <laughs> like, well, I, it was wild, man. It was wild. I think the biggest part about why it resonated so much was that exactly as you said, you were giving voice to, uh, I mean, that's how everybody's feeling over there, right? Like we, yeah. you can't watch, like there's, we have a lot of, there's a degree of it here in Vancouver too, right? Like we've had a five-year rebuild, but we could see the progression. And and so yeah. it gives way to optimism, right? But with, with Buffalo, they like they brought in the Jeff Skinners. They brought in these guys that were supposed to hyperdrive this, this rebuild um, all around Jack Eichel. And the team's just constantly falling short like they come out to a good run at the beginning of the year and then they fall off and and like i couldn't imagine like that like that's such a far cry from the hashik days from even the briere Biron days Brier, like, miller yep. yeah the miller days like they there's there's such a passionate fan base in buffalo um one of the most passionate fan bases and such a storied history with the sabers and yet you have this this ownership that group that comes in and now you have nine years of just nothing. And that's, that's heartbreaking, man. Like, have, have you guys ever watched Terry Pagula's uh, opening press conference when he first bought the Sabres? Yeah. yeah. Well, a long Where time he ago. Pro- he, promised, he promised us the world, sat up there and cried, pointing to Gilbert Perot, 
like all this stuff he promised. And then like I, up until this past year, man, I have adamantly, adamantly, and you could ask anybody that knows me, you can go back to my, on my Twitter, any social media platform I have to back before all this happened. I would adamantly defend the Pagulas because I don't know if you guys ever been to Buffalo, but they've literally restored like the life in downtown Buffalo outside of sports, you know, restaurants, bars, they rebuilt canal side and the waterfront. It's insane wow. the amount of money they pumped into this area. And they didn't have to, and that was my always argument. They didn't have to do all this. And they did like, he could have just kept his money in oil and just did his thing and you know, whatever. And, but then like, you know, I, I just, you know, it's, it, it for, excuse me. For me, it started when um, LaFontaine was annihilated and, you know, shunned essentially out of the organization. And, you know, he was my very first like Sabres hero. Um, you know, I have his book Companions and Courage. I suggest anybody read it. It's a really good read. Um, the guy is about as humble as they come. And he, he, he was, he was the type of guy where, after a road trip, he would come back into Buffalo and he would actually sneak into children's hospital through like the back door. Didn't want any media exposure, nothing. And would just go visit kids that were like fighting for their lives. Like, wow. and like, this was, this was a fact, man. He, this is what he did. And he, there's, there's rooms in certain hospitals all around the country now called the lion's den where, um, little kiosks where kids can like interact with NHL players. Like you, like when they first put them in, like, you could play NHL, you know, 2000, whatever against Sidney Crosby, if you wanted to hop on or it was, it, dude, he, he, the guy has just been, you know, a, a gift to humanity in, in the sports world. And to see him get treated the way he did out the door and then to sign a fucking non-disclosure agreement. So you can't know what happened. Like, like what? Like you can't, you couldn't make it work with that guy, that, that guy, like you could not make it work with that guy as president of hockey ups. That's insanity to me. Insanity. Yeah. And, um, it started there, like kind of like the bad taste, but I still defended him. And then just everything with this past season, trading Ryan O'Reilly two years ago, watching him win the cup and the cons. <laughs> it was just like, and, and, and you and people, I'll, I will die on this hill, man. In, in terms of how the trade worked out for each team, that is by and far the worst trade in NHL history. I'm sorry. It is like you, it couldn't have ended up worse for one side than it did. Yeah. And, yeah. You, know, you lost Patrick everything Ber for a franchise. Berglund walking off the team. Yeah. Berglund pack is Mike, Mikey Commodore would say, packing his shit and getting the fuck out and just, you know Vladimir Saboka wow okay um and then yeah. we got Tage their third best prospect on their team in Tage Thompson who you know for all intents and purposes you know he was a re not a retry guy but like he was a guy that was looked at as like kind of needed a change in scenery one of those guys that he wasn't working out uh whenever they brought him up and it's like I mean I think I you know his name escapes me the t their top prospect time I, I can't remember what it was who it was but to, to, to trade a guy like ryan o'reilly who's consistently going to give you 60 points a year on a on what was a terrible hockey team um with not a lot of talent around him other than jack eichel and maybe sam reinhardt's time to trade him for you know i put this on twitter you know recently tabasco and n64 and a fucking used pair of jordans like like <laughs> to, to trade him for all those things and then like it just I just lost it man like, like yeah. what are we doing like what's like 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 you have two years to, to replace the guy and you, you instead you try and 
force a inexperienced Casey Middlestad, an inexperienced and undersized Casey Middlestad, expect him to take, take the reins in that position, which is unfair to him. And then, you know, you bring in Marcus Johansson, who, you know, if you know much about him, he was a winger. He's been like a winger yeah. for the last five years. He's like, all right, we're going to throw him at center and expect him to be the same player. And it's just, just like, you know, this mediocrity, bringing in mediocre players and keeping the same mediocre players. And it's just like, I look back at that press conference. It's like, yo, like, what the, what the hell, man? Like, you, you told me, mo- you told us money would never be an issue. You said you promised this, you promised to bring back the glory days. And you've done nothing close to that. And you, you hide in your house in Florida and you're nowhere to be found to answer for all this shit. And it's just like, honestly, just how looking at how you guys did your 50th anniversary compared to ours, it was just yeah. so embarrassing, man. Like, like, I don't, again, I don't know how much you guys have looked into it, but just how they fuck, like, <laughs> spelling. Well, me. I, I mean, it's easy to put it's this side by side. Cry. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't even talk. It's so funny. Like, it's like it's yeah, I know. it was so bad. It was funny. Like, you know, uh, there was a picture of Alexi, Alexi Zhitnik, you know, who played in the Ashik days. Um, and he was, he was smiling at the camera and the, the, it was the old goat head jersey and you know, the uh, jersey that, in the background here. And yeah. like, it, the court was completely crooked. Like, what? They missed a deadline. They missed a deadline. The one you guys clearly didn't miss to get this, to get this into Adidas. And instead, the, 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 at first, I thought they just went to a, like a foreign company to get these jerseys. Turns out they actually own Ad Pro Sports, which is located here in Buffalo. And they did the jerseys through Ad Pro Sports, and that's how they turned out. So oh all those God. jerseys that they wore, all those jerseys that they wore on the ice that night were made by a company owned by the Pagulas. I was I was going to ask because they were all knockoffs and very clearly yeah. knockoffs. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I've got a Sabres jersey, the goat head. It doesn't look like that. No, <laughs> like... no, no, no. No, it doesn't. And you, no. like, like, if you knew, like, you know, the one thing we wanted out of this year was one night of that jersey. That's it. We wanted one night. Just give us that jersey for one night. And when they announced 90s night, we were like, yes, they're going to get, like, they're going to give us that jersey. You know, the season may not be – uh, going the way we planned or the way we wanted, but we're gonna get that jersey. And then they fucking walk the alumni out of those things. <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me! Like, what the fuck, man? Like, like it's like it's like one kick of the balls after the other. Like, like we're gonna kick, we're gonna kick you in the balls, push you on the ground, and spit on you. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, Jesus Christ! Like I'm getting fired this, up again. This feels like it. the uh, the series finale. It feels like the series finale of Game of Thrones when Jon Snow just walks out into the forest as the credits rolled. I just laughed. Like holy yeah. fuck! Oh, you yeah. know, again, all this oh. hype, all the build up. You know, you know, all the promises made. You know, again, because you had to be excited when you you know, you re-signed Skinner. You know, when you won the Eichel lottery, when you won the Rasmus Dahlin lottery. You know, like there was there's enough pieces and things. Like you know, you're not wrong for having hope at the beginning of the season. You look at the team on paper, you know, Ralph Kruger coming in, there's a lot there that you think, okay, we have some blocks here. You know, now we just need to surround them with some other pieces. And, you know, you know, it's, as I said, you know, we have a lot in common, obviously, when you're talking about Lafrentine, I couldn't help but thinking about Linden, 
we yeah. had a similar situation. Trevor Linden, yep. I'm sure you know Trevor Linden. Yep. You know, he's kind of the, still the you know, most recognizable Canuck around here. Brought in as the president and then unceremoniously dispatched. And, you know, in, in a way that, they, you know, they tried to make it sound like he quit or, you know, but clearly he was fired. And, you know, there's still, you know, tons of rumors going on. And, you know, he barely showed up for the 50th anniversary. And that was such a disappointment to us that, you know, they, they, they scorched the earth with our, you know, the biggest name in the, in the team history so badly that he didn't even, you know, come for the captain ceremony or any of those kind of things. Yep. So, you know, same thing for LaFontaine. LaFontaine politely declined and you haven't heard from him you know, in this city since he left. It, it was insane. Uh, the only thing, thing I see media-wise out of him was he announced a, a draft pick for the Buffalo Buttes organization. Um, another fun, another fucking funny, because the, the Pagulas own the Buttes, too. And, you know, I, 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 there was, like, some scandal, you know, some sexual harassment scandal within the organization where a lot of people got fired. And then, you know, there were some financial issues with the league, and then the Pagulas just completely – did away with with uh with the buffalo buttes which was sad because they had a good team i'm actually having a couple of their uh a couple of their goalies um on my podcast soon and uh it's just it's sad man just just the incompetence of this ownership group and you know there's one common denominator in all of it it's it, it, it you know all the decisions it, it in my opinion kim pagula has to step step away and you need to get you know like a John Davidson type guy in there, or a, a, yeah. a Burke, like somebody like that, somebody who knows what they're doing, a Shanahan, somebody, somebody who knows what what they're doing is a hockey has a hockey mind for these things. Because in my opinion, I mean, granted, she's only been in this position for like two and a half years now, or whatever it is. But like, you you look you look at everything that's happened since she's taken over. You know, she took over before the Ryan O'Reilly deal, and you're not gonna. T- and that's another thing. You're not. She she sits there and tells that says that. You know, she has nothing to do with, you know, hockey decisions. But you're not going to sit here and tell me you're trading a guy like Ryan O'Reilly. Jason Bottle's trading Ryan O'Reilly without consulting ownership. There oh, is no. no way. No way. No way. And the fact that they okay that and the return that they got, that right there puts them at more blame, in my opinion, than Jason Bottle. And I'm starting to think that they actually, that ownership actually pushed, pushed, uh, the trade for Ryan O'Reilly because I don't know if you guys pay attention to uh, uh, Matt Barnaby's podcast at all, but uh, Barnaby um, spoke, uh, spoke to Mike Harrington from the from the Buffalo News here, and Harrington in a conversation with O'Reilly's dad, O'Reilly's dad flat told flat out told him he, they never wanted him to leave Buffalo because of how close he was to home. They never he never wanted to leave Buffalo. He just said all he did was saying how he was feeling and with the state of the team and the way things were going, I guarantee you every guy in that locker room felt the same oh, fucking yeah. way. And, and, and Michael he still does. Said, yeah, but he doesn't come out and say it the way O'Reilly did, but O'Reilly just said it. He was honest. He had a moment of, of brutal honesty. And can you blame him? And now you – like the thing, and here's the thing. The, the difference between that team and this past one is – and I said it in the rant is that, uh, you know, this team was different because I, with Housley and Biles, they would give up on them. The, you would see I, – like, I, I would go to games, I'd see, they would just give up. They would go through the motions. This team never gave up on, on Kruger. They don't. They, they played 60 minutes of hockey most nights, and they battled hard. It, it, it just became clear that it was just for a lack of talent, and that's the reason why 
like they were they weren't at you know as good as you would hope they were going to be. Um, and you got Eichel here having an MVP season. In my opinion, with the level Jack Eichel was playing at, you know, I don't care about Leon Drysdale, Connor McDavid. This is not me being biased at all. He was the best player in the NHL this year, hundred percent. Like he carried this team on his back. Eichel like, was crazy his, this year. It like was, otherworldly. It was insane. Yeah. Insane. Just how he protects the puck. Um, how he can just skate through skate through bodies. Um, just his, his power and how much size he's put on and that shot, man, he does not get enough credit for that shot. It is lethal. I'm not saying it's like Ovechkin lethal, but it is lethal. Yeah. And then, you know, you see what he did with Victor Olofsson in his rookie year, you know, them playing at the same lines. Um, just, you know, every week, all the pieces are there for this team to be good. And you finally found a coach that, you know, gets these guys to buy in to his system because Dan Bilesma was garbage. He was hot garbage. Like, you got fired from a team that, you know, had Sidney Crosby, Malkin, Phil Kessel. You know, I'm not sure. I think Phil Kessel was the team. I can't remember. But, you know, Stahl. Latang, you know, Flurry. You know, Tang, Flurry. Like, this, this, yeah. this, this what ended up being a dynasty hockey team. In comes Sullivan. And, like, it, it picked up right where they left off, you know, before Bilesma essentially started to ruin them. And then you, you miss out on Babcock. You bring in Bilesma. And Bilesma's hot garbage. You bring you bring in Housley and Housley and I think I think like two and a half years before he was with um, Nashville. Yeah, he's running the defense. He was, well, he was running before he was with coaching high school. Like it's not like it's not like he went from some some you know. This, I'm almost positive he was he went from progressively to a next step. He went from a high school hockey team to coaching in the NHL as a defense as a defensive coach. And then on a team that had Shea Weber, PK Subban, um, Roman Yossi, Roman Yossi, yep. yeah, um, like... that team that team defensively was stacked, and they made runs. And then you, you think this guy's qualified, and then he's anything but qualified. Yeah, I mean, you see the name, and you assume that he's as good a coach as a player. Yeah, and that's what you get. And it sucks too, yeah, because you know he, you know, his legacy is never going to be the same as far as, as Buffalo goes. You know. People aren't going to remember the player he was in Buffalo. They're going to remember the, the terrible job he did as a coach, which sucks. Because um, he was an incredible player. Unbelievable. Oh, incredible. One of the greatest U.S. foreign hockey players of all time. Yeah. No no questions asked. So, I, yeah, that's, that hurts a lot. And I know, like, yep. it, it's got to feel almost like you're in, like, a Groundhog Day watching Jack Eichel come yep. out and and express his frustrations like you're like we just we just got over like we just went through this with Ryan O'Reilly and then immediately he becomes a cup winner to add extra salt into the wound and now we've got Jack Eichel our our kind of last saving grace here uh, aside from Darlene uh, now he's like yeah it sucks it sucks losing and here Sean's Sean's been putting together trade packages for Eichel by the way. I'll tell I you want right now, so bad, dude. <laughs> okay, listen, listen, guys. I'll tell you right now, he's gonna finish out this contract in Buffalo. He's not gonna get traded. And, you know, you you can you guys people can pump that rhetoric all they want. The 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 trade package that it would take oh, to get Jack Eichel. First off, here's my opinion: is you would never want to do that with a team that uh, most teams that are probably gonna give up those type of assets aren't gonna be bottom 
bottom of the barrel teams. They're probably going to be like, you know, like your Boston, maybe even you guys. And those picks that you're going to get in that deal, what are they going to be late first round picks? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You know, you know, just, you know, build around Eichel, which is hopefully what they do. And there's no trade package in my mind that, you know, aside, I don't even want to think about it. There's just no trade package you can give me, put in front of me, that is good enough to get Jack Eichel out of Buffalo. Well, it's like us with Pedersen, right? Like, if, yep. if somebody was like, hey, we'll give you Eichel for Pedersen, I'd say no. And you would say no. And we'd both yeah. be totally content yeah. with who we have. And, yeah. And because Eichel Russo from The Athletic on last week, and he, he kind of crushed Sean's dreams because he was essentially like, Kevin Adams is a rookie GM. No rookie GM is ever ever going to trade your franchise center no no i, well, I want i want well, Eichel jason so bad. <laughs> well, jason i have Bottero to crush your dreams time. sorry jason Sean. No. jason Bottero was a first time gm and he traded ryan o'reilly without we, see there's but precedent. O'Reilly's not on the level of like, <laughs> no he's not he's not he's not I, you know time, I, like, I have i have a lot of respect Hans for ryan O'Reilly, winner. but he no, is not an he's Eichel. not he can't take over games the way jack eichel does no he but can't. what's the what's the next most important gate position after your first line center your second line center. Nope, your second line center, in my opinion. You fill those two spots first, in my opinion. Um, and I think that case – Those are the three. Made, yeah, yeah, well, for sure. Sorry, right first line, second liner, and first defense. Yeah. You, right now yeah. you have two of those pieces in Dalian and Eichel. And, you know, it's just mm-hmm. – I don't understand why it's this hard to, to find a guy. To, it would have been so hard to find a guy to bridge you from, you know – what Ryan O'Reilly was supposed to be to let guy like Casey Middlestad develop instead of force him into a role he wasn't ready for. And I, I just don't get why it's that hard, especially for a team where the rhetoric is, the narrative is that money means nothing. You have all the tools at your disposal to get what you need to get. And here we are still rolling out Johan Larson. Here we are still rolling out Demgis Gergens. <laughs> a mid-season trade for fucking micro for a leak. God, they got. I gotta say, I laughed when that happened because it was just so not what they needed. Yeah, like literally, like literally, literally. What? What'd you say? That. I apologize. I I didn't hear you. Sorry, Wayne Simmons at deadline. Like, oh man, Wayne Simmons. Okay, okay, okay. Here's the thing with that those deals is Jason Botterill. Obviously, you know if if not being fired for making, again, as I said, the worst trade in NHL history. He should have been fired deadline day when he said into a live microphone after the deadline that the deals for Wayne Simmons and Cahoon were on the table well before the deadline, but he felt confident in the group that he had. I said, are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, what made you – what? Like, like you, you, you think that rolling out Jimmy Vesey, uh, Michael Froley, Akposo, Larson, Gergensons, it, you know, you know, it's so bad that you, you can't put Skinner and Eichel together because you have to spread out the tail somehow. So you only have one line scoring for you. You, you think you think Marcus Johansson and, 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 and fucking – Dude, I write that in there. I was like, "Fire this asshole! Fire him now!" Like that is unreal. That that deal, that deal was on the table through you know, however long before the deadline, and you felt comfortable with the roster you had to make a run for a playoff spot. Get the fuck out of here! Get the fuck out of my city! You, God, hot garbage! I'm sorry for my language, 
No, <laughs> I think it's uh, it it feels relatable. We're, right? here, yeah. we're here for Dwayne, Dwayne the Buffalo Rant Guy Part Two. <laughs> yeah, we Googled Rant Guy. Like we we wanted this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's uh. You know, it's um, it was right then and there. I was like, this guy's got to go. Like, he's got to go. Like, 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 and a part of uh, some of the rumor around here for a while was that he was afraid to pull the trigger because he was afraid to make another disastrous deal like he did with O'Reilly. Um, but then, why you know, would Wayne Simmons be the guy? Like, I don't, I just don't understand. Like, your team isn't in a position to go for a playoff run, right? Like at that point, right. it's too late. And Wayne Simmons oh. is not the guy that's going to put you over the edge and make all of a sudden this enormous astronomical difference. That was a buyer's trade. Yeah, and it was. They it were was. supposed to be in a selling position. Like, if I'm Buffalo in yeah. that situation, I'm like, hey, what can I get for uh, Risto, right? Like, I'm not looking <laughs> at how can I add Simmons to my roster so that we can make a playoff <laughs> run. You. Like, I just don't understand. I'll tell you, man. Rasmus Ristolainen. Oh, there's a whole other. <laughs> like literally, <laughs> that's how I purposely <laughs> opened that can. Yeah. Anal- analytically, this this ownership group and you know the people in charge in Buffalo have been getting told, and analytically, this guy is an issue, and he's making your team worse. But fuck it, just keep rolling him out there 25 minutes a night because he's foundational. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's part of the foundation. Apparently. Remember how good he was in the World Juniors. <laughs> Mad. He, people don't forget that i swear uh, that's why they still like, think risto is a top four center or d-man like i just don't yeah, understand right where now, that if, comes from if, if he's playing 15 16 minutes a night i'm fine with him i'm fine totally he's, totally. he's, power not, play. he's not yeah you know a second power a second line power play guy a power play two guy like I, i'm fine with rasmus line in, in those positions but to keep running him out there for 25 minutes a night why for God's sakes, why? It'd be like us He's running Tyler Myers all all hours of the game. Like we're not talking peak Duncan Keith here. We're talking no, a like, niche defenseman that has yep. offensive Every, upside and, and defensive liabilities. Yeah. I'll tell you. I, I oh, speaking of Tyler Myers, I lost all respect for him when he was in Buffalo. When uh, you know he got out muscled and outworked in the corner by Jeff Skinner twice in one game. One of one of which led to a goal. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, man! For a guy who's six foot eight, you really are a, just a, a shell of a man. Like to get outworked at your size, you know, hit him with your purse, man! Holy hell!" Um, well, we'll be using that as a clip. As uh, log into Canucks Twitter, they'll tell you he's a six million dollar top four D. That's that's apparently what Tyler Myers is. Why? Well, no, he's not. It's, a, it's crazy we've to me. We've had a because... lot of fun talking Tyler Myers. We've had him. We've had him trending all week. Yeah, I I made a mistake once where I I said that he should be if we get a compliance buyout, it should be Tyler Myers that we buy out, not Louis Erickson. Um, which I still like. Malcolm can attest. We we still very strongly feel that that's the case, but uh, we got him trending <laughs> um, <laughs> by everybody now debating it. He's not a top four D man, and he's not a six not million not. dollar guy. Not. He's a niche offensive guy, very much in the in the same grain yep. as a Rasmus Ristolainen. And people here in Vancouver think that trading for Ristolainen would be a great idea. And it's <laughs> Kevin, you can have him. Yeah. Have him. That's just it. Like I will, I will, I will nobody wants him. Take, 
if you guys take rest, I will drive him personally to Vancouver. I will drive him personally to Vancouver with fucking bells on, man. You can have him. <laughs> and then you'll find out we did the same with Louis Erickson to get him to you guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do oh, that one God. for I, one. We'll do that it, one for like, one. You know, I, I, I've never seen a guy who just doesn't make the simple play more often than rest is just the lightning, man. Just, you know, you can make the simple play up the boards, but now, nah, you know, I'll try and skate it up the middle through three players and yeah. lose the puck at the blue line. That's, that's, that's Rasmus Crystalline in a nutshell. I want to jump back to something you said that just quickly. Um, you said earlier, kind of when we started, that Sabres Twitter is a dark place. It is. And it is. I want to hear a little bit more about this just because we think of Canucks Twitter as a fairly dark place where I don't, I don't know if you've dropped in on it this week, but there's just a lot of, lot of infighting. But I, I, would love, I would love to feel better about Canucks Twitter if Sabres Twitter is dark. Dwayne gets nothing but love on Canucks Twitter. <laughs> Same thing in Toronto, oddly enough, uh, which is supposed to be our rival. You know, mo- for, I'd say you know, eight or eight out of ten Toronto fans know I'm. I, I, I do it out of love, but I always do the Eichel over Matthews debate. And uh, you know, they, they, we most of them know it's all in good fun. Ever since I did the Steve Dangle podcast, and uh, um, but you know, sometimes you get a few Toronto fans who are fucking seething on their phone just looking at like you know fuck this guy fuck this guy um, we love going after toronto too oh who doesn't you know they're the yankees yeah. of hockey yeah exactly it's, it's just too much hockey. fun yeah and but as far as um as far as you know sabers twitter goes man it's just like when i say it's a dark place it's a very negative place you don't get much positive out of it man and if you're looking, if you're looking to brighten up your day, and you're a Sabers fan, I would, you know, stay out of Sabers Twitter. It's not going <laughs> to brighten up your day. Not, not a lot to be going off of positive wise. I mean, I like Ralph Kruger. I thought that was a great hiring. Uh, Darlene, Eichel. I mean, you guys have great players. You just don't have the support around them to to help. And I, that has to start from the top down. And yeah. That's, that's, that's another big. another big debate of ours is, you know, is it harder to get those top players that you often get at the very top of the draft, or is it harder to supplement the core and find the right pieces, manage the cap, et cetera? Well, you look so at teams – you, you I'm sorry. You look at teams like Pittsburgh and Chicago and the way they built their their teams, their dynasty, dynasty S teams, and that's the way you do it, man. Like, I've always been – I've always been – like, and I'm a goalie too. You don't need a top-end goalie to win a cup. I think I, I personally think I don't think Matt Murray is an elite goaltender, but he's got. No, I think he's a, a mildly average goaltender. Neither does Besser. Yeah. I think yeah. he's. Lucky. <laughs> um, I, I don't think you need to pay a goalie eight, nine, ten million dollars a year to play to play for your team. I laughed. I fucking laughed when Florida paid Bobrovsky what they did. Why? Like <laughs> why? Like why? Yeah. And then they go and draft Spencer Knight in the first round. What? Like it made no sense to me. Like I know. Even it, it, it goalies take longer to develop, but you think Spencer Knight for three, four, five years, however long it takes him to develop, you think he's going to want to sit there behind Bobrovsky? No, no. And it, it, what if Bobrovsky's still living up to his contract? And what do you do with Spencer Knight? Do you trade him? You wasted a first round pick on him. Yeah, you're not getting twelfth yeah. overall value. No, you're not. You're you're not at all. It just it, like I and then you look at Montreal, Carey Price. Did that worked out? No. Like, 
And like I said, I'm a goalie, man, and I'll say it all day. You do not need to pay top-end money for a goaltender if you build your team correctly. I think Chicago proved that. And um, Pittsburgh. And, and Colorado's doing it. Columbus is doing it a little bit right now. Yep. There's tons of even, uh, even, even L.A. He, they didn't pay yeah, top-end money for Quick. No. No, I was literally just about to say that. You look at his numbers. Jonathan Quick was never a, a, a real sexy regular season goalie. Um, but come playoffs, he turned it on for sure. He yeah. turned it on yet when he had to. We but know that too well. Sexy, yeah, we, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, <laughs> tell us about it. <laughs> you know, and it's it, it, you know it's you know you don't have to pay a goalie that kind of money. And um, you know, we have here in Buffalo, we have Linus Olmark as an R. I think he's uh, coming up as an RFA or whatever it is. I think um, they're going to have to pay him if they want to bring him back. Um, Carter Hutton, I think, probably shouldn't be back, uh, even though apparently we're rolling him out with a defect, defect, an effective eye. I don't know about all, all that, which is even funnier. Like, this is like, this is, add, add it to the list. Add it to the fucking pile of just shit that keeps happening here, that keeps coming out. You know, we find we find out earlier this week that the boards at the arena are warped because they didn't flood the ice. <laughs> you know, we find out that now. Um, that was unreal. Just, yeah. And you know what? Well, you fired fired your rink guy. (laughs) Yeah, we fired we fired them all. Um, But you fired. (laughs) Here's another thing too: is anybody who wants to argue with me that the Pagulas don't make financially fueled decisions, you know, everything they do is now financially fueled. Um, That rink, the Key Bank Center, is one of the worst in the league. They still have the same seats that they that that the original seats when they opened that place up there's a there's an odor in there it's not it's not a nice arena it's not um you think with all this downtime and you're, they're they're certainly allowed to that they would just pump some money into that arena the way they did you know with the bills and the stadium and they and they built new workout facilities for the bills down at one bills drives millions and hundreds of hundred million dollars whatever the astronomical number was you think they would take that same initiative right now when you can put some new seats in there, you know, you know, spice the place up a bit, you know, you know, do it for the fans. As I said in the rant, like just show, show us that you care. It's just like, nah, why, why spend more money if you don't have to? Yeah. yeah. That's, well, where, that's, I, that's where I feel. Sorry. sorry. That's where I feel insulted. That's where I feel insulted. It's just like, I, you know, I feel like they take advantage of our love of hockey and they, they don't give us, they don't give us what we deserve. And that's what pisses me off the most. It's just like, you know, they, they, they just, they just, take us for granted and just think we'll keep coming back. We'll keep coming back no matter what, no matter what. And they don't have to make improvements and, you know, but they've been losing money for a decade now, you know, yeah. like, so Something's I apologize for cutting you off. Yeah. I think that's but, the funny part about it is like, we listened to you talk about how they've spruced up downtown Buffalo and, and really helped the, the area out and, where's that money for the actual people that are funding them, right? Like, where's the money for the fans? Where's the money for making the team better? Where's like they cut 22 jobs in Buffalo. Then they go and fire a bunch of people in Rochester. Uh, with the Americans. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. Like, <laughs> like I just like for money is not an issue at the beginning that promise. Like where's literally any follow through? Like they, they've shown zero follow-through like i couldn't imagine how i'd feel like we feel that in vancouver that we're not uh catered to or appreciated as a fan base in a lot of ways 
and yep. and they're doing a, a much better job, honestly, than Buffalo Sabres are. And oh, when I saw what you guys did for the 50th anniversary, like it just made me even more angry. Like am I at different goals? Like it's just like, and you know what? With everything they've done downtown, the difference is is there's a return. There's a return in your investment coming back. The hotels, right the Harbor Center project, how we got the combine every year now because we have the Harbor Center, which has two NHL-sized rinks uh, connected to it with a hotel connected to that, connected to, to the arena through a breezeway. Um, you know, so they're getting a return on everything. The restaurants they built, apparently, I, I just learned this past year, they apparently had a fucking music label somewhere in Nashville. I, I don't know why, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, read into it. I highly suggest after, after this, after this uh, show – that you read John Vogel and Tim Graham's interviews on the or articles on the Pagulas from like a month or two ago. Um, uh, Tim Graham and John Vogel from the Athletic. It it's it, very eye opening to how much in trouble financially they are. That's why I laughed at their Zoom conference call when Terry Pagulas. I don't know where these rumors came from that were were, were in trouble financially. You what do you mean rumors, man? Like you can yeah. look it up online. There's the smoke. Your oils, your oil businesses are floundering. Uh, you're losing money every year with the savers. The only business that you're running right now that's making you money is the bills. And you make like tens of millions of dollars before you even play it down just from TV contracts and revenue sharing. Like, like it's extremely, extremely difficult to lose money as an NFL owner. It just never happens. That's why you see all this money going into the organization because, you know, they're, they're getting a return on that. And um, and all the credit, there's nothing. They get a lot of credit for the way how, the way things have turned around with the Bills for a short amount of time since they bought the Bills. Here's the thing. Comparing those two things, two, two entities, are two completely different. First off, there's more margin of, mar, margin for error with, with an NHL team. You have 82 games. With, the, with, with an NFL team, there's less. There's 16 games. Plus – you don't play the same teams every year in the NFL. You might only get Drew Brees in New Orleans once every four or five years. You might get Aaron Rodgers once every four years. Some of the best players in the NFL and at the most at the most key position. The Bills, two years ago, two years ago, uh, when they made the playoffs, got in uh, on a technicality. Um, you know, on a heroic play from Andy Dalton with the, on, a, on a final drive. Um, they weren't up. They weren't a, a playoff caliber team that year, but we got lucky. And then two years later, we have on paper the easiest schedule in NFL. In the NFL, and I don't know how much you guys follow football, but the two best quarterbacks we played against were Dak Prescott and Lamar Jackson. The other quarterbacks: Ryan Fitzpatrick twice, Sam Darnold twice, a garbage Tom Brady twice. He was absolutely horrendous last season. Horrendous. Mm-hmm. I don't. You look, saw him in the games against the Bills. He, you know, he looked like Nathan Peterman out there. It was terrible. It was terrible. Um, we've had a guy named Duck Hodges because Big Ben was down for the year. All these garbage quarterbacks we played against, and we got we got a 10-6 and six record, got into the playoffs, actually against Duck Hodges when we beat him in a primetime game. And, it, like, it was luck. It was luck because if you, it, 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 you put that team, that roster against any other NFL schedule, and I'm a diehard Bills fan too. I've traveled across the country to see the Bills play. You put that roster against other team schedules, and they're lucky if they're eight and eight. Lucky, absolutely. Yeah. Like you'd be lucky. Now, Brandon, they, they, when they hired those guys, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, um, they were safe, cheap hires from Rex Ryan, who was a train wreck. Um, you know, you br- you bring in Sean McDermott first, 
he was a safe hire because if the Bills didn't hire him, Sean McDermott probably wasn't going to get a head coaching job there. He wasn't a sexy pick. And then he brings in the real brains behind all of it, Brandon Bean, who also wasn't a guy being looked, looked you know, sought after as a GM. And they made the right moves. They, they made some good moves. Um, they still passed on Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, you know, in back-to-back drafts. You know, I won't, I won't comment on that. Um, it just, just goes to show, you know, and I mean, other teams passed on him too, but I mean, you got two MVP quarterbacks, no debating yeah. that. One just won a Super Bowl in his third year. And, but here's the thing. It, that's why it's so hard to compare both those entities because in one, you have so much of a larger margin for error in one and the other you don't. And the thing is you like, you can luck into an easy schedule in the NFL like we did. You do not get an easy schedule in the NFL. You play the same teams you play every year, the same amount of time. You're getting Sidney Crosby's, you know, three times, whatever times it is a year. You're getting Alex Ovechkin three times every year. You're getting, you know, Connor, or Connor McDavid twice a year. You're getting, you know, all, all the elite elite. You're getting the same amount of times every year, no matter what. And, yeah. like, that's what's so, fr- that's what's so frustrating it too because, you know, I got myself into a can of worms with Bill's Mafia this week. When uh, so when Craig Button went on record and said if if the Pagulas turn this around on Buffalo, oh this Kevin answer, it won't be because they make they, they think they thought they were making the right move. It's just based off pure luck. And I quoted it and I said, kind of sounds like the Bills and Bills yeah. Mafia one by one, man. If you if you take a dig at their at their team, even though it's my team too, they come in herds, man. They come for blood, and that's what that's what I've been dealing with the last couple of days, man. It's just. But it's true. It's true. It's not like they, when the Pagulas made that hire, they were making a sexy pick. They were make they, they got the guy that was most sought after. No, they made a safe, cheap pick. And it worked out. So far, it's worked out. You know, and th- this next season, you know, um, the seat next season is um, their first real test uh, competitively because of the schedule that they're going to have coming up. But, like, and that, that's why I, I look at that and I look at the Sabres. It's like, how can you sit here and give, like, try and make it look like, oh, they made the right moves with the Bills. They're bound to do it with the Sabres. No, they got lucky with the Bills. They got really lucky with the Bills and very fortunate with the Bills. There is no proof there that tells me any evidence, I'm sorry, evidence there that proves to me that they can do the same with the Sabres. And they, they, all, they did, all they did was they, they, they hired a guy that was already on the payroll in Kevin Adams, maybe maybe they were grooming him. I don't know, but the guy has literally zero experience on the player personnel side of you know of hockey, other than being a Which player. Is enormous, so, enormous, exactly. And hopefully, you know, they allow him to bring in um, some good hockey minds and surround him with that. I heard um, uh, one one of the names that's been thrown around. Um, former saver too I, I, name escapes me but uh regardless um there's uh, you know there is i i'm, I'm gonna root for the guy I, I i want him to do well i'm not a fan i wouldn't be a good fan if i if i if i did it you know i want my team to be good but you know there isn't you know much evidence over the past decade that tells me that's what they're gonna do and here we are we still have kim pagula sitting as president of hockey after the most inexperienced person in the organization to have her position and again as i stated earlier it, for for a person in that position to do what she's done in barely two two and a half years time, she should have been fired by now. She would have been fi- if she didn't own the team, oh, she yeah. would have been fired. Absolutely, it, it's a fact. It's a fact. You know, you don't you don't allow a guy like Ryan O'Reilly to get traded for peanuts 
And then everything else that's happened since then, just the, the terrible, the, the terrible hockey decisions that have been made and just sit there and just say, well, I don't make, I, I'm not in charge of those decisions. And then, okay. So you're telling me you just let Botterill have free reign. Get the hell out of here. You know, I'm sorry. I don't buy that for a second. No, it's an easy out. And I mean, we're used to seeing that uh, here in Vancouver too, like around the Linden situation and, uh, we can feel for you, right? Like we've, I think uh, somehow our, our two organizations through the 1970 expansion yeah. have been forever linked and have yep. almost very similar histories in, in a lot of ways. And hopefully I was, things can kind of come I, around. I was pulling, I was pulling for you guys when you did make the finals that, that year when you lost, I was pulling for you guys just for those reasons alone that we came in the league together. Even though I would, I would have been a little salty because I, I would have kind of stuck having you guys win a cup before us, but whatever, man. Like I want to, I want to see, I want to see a team who hasn't won it before win it. Like I'm yeah. a diehard Red Sox fan. When they won it finally in '04, I lost my fucking mind. When the Chicago Cubs won, I was so happy. They didn't win a freaking World Series in a hundred and something years, which is an insane number. I, I, t- I spoke to a Cubs fan once who said he didn't want them to win a cup. I uh, uh, not win a cup, uh, to win a World Series because. It was so impressive how bad the losing streak was. <laughs> but like, it is. Know, that's it, like that's historical. I'm yeah, I'm always gonna root for you guys. You know, you know, as long as you're not playing Buffalo, you know, it's it's, it's the way it is. Yeah. Likewise, um, I and- I cheered for you guys through '99. Uh, uh, I I wanted to see Hashik raise the cup in Buffalo, man. I really did. And these are two of my favorite Sabres memories. One, I remember being, I hated the Dallas Stars. Like, I hated them. Oh, and yeah. I was so mad when they won. One, I'm saying that in quotation marks. I don't count it. It's not really one. And one of my other top favorite Sabres moments was maybe not great for you guys, but the year that Chatan got traded, when he scored this absolutely sick goal, and his celebration was he made the call me sign. Like, he. Yep, yep, yep. Like being I, traded. Yeah, that was when I. Yep. Goal of all time. Yeah, I remember that very vividly. Yep. Um, they actually just talked about that on the radio not too long ago. Um, when when that when that happened too, it was a, it's a funny, it's a fun, it's a fun, uh, a sad but funny moment. But dude, uh, you bring up those teams too. Okay, so that '99 team, you had Dominic Hasek, best goalie in the world, best goalie that ever lived. I, no debate about. It. I don't care. You can put any goalie in front of me. I I I will debate it and I will prove you wrong. It, you know, in every 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 possible way. Um, but you have this world-class goalie. He's making a decent dime here in Buffalo. But you didn't even attempt to build in front of him. No. Chatan was the best player after LaFontaine left with his concussion issues. Which <laughs> You want to know who we traded LaFontaine for? Like the second-round pick. Do you know who the Sabres picked with that second-round pick? Andrew Peters. Andrew Peters. The Sabres use a second round pick out of Andrew Peters in the LaFontaine deal. And that's hilarious. Um, just, you know, it's, but you look at those teams, man, and the best defenseman he ever had in front of him during the years, the Sabres was all see shit. What? No, oh, it was, you know, Richard Schmelick. Like they didn't build in front of him. It's another example of just, you know, an owner's pitching pennies, not wanting to invest, you know, and just, you know, they, they, they Michael Peck, I think, held out for an entire year because, they wouldn't give him a raise and pay uh, the Selkie winning captain. You didn't, you refused to pay him. Like that's wild to me. And you, you, if you just think about it, if you would have brought in two pieces, two more pieces, like, you know, I know they brought in Joey Juno 
and uh, I forget who else, but if you would have brought in two legit guys on that team, they win the cup that year, no doubt. And that was a good Dallas team. That was a really good Dallas team. Oh, so um, many Hall of Famers on the Dallas team. Yeah. And Hashik dragged that Sabres team there. Like, like on his back. Just the way Eichel's dragging his team on his back yeah, right now. Yeah, it was it's, unbelievable. It's like, and, and uh, like I, I, on two goalies, one Mike, I've spoken to, you know, guys like Byron Defoe, uh, Olaf Kolzig, Steve Shields, uh, Mike McKenna. Um, other pro- former NHL goalies, and they've all said the same thing. And, you know, one of them, and Marty Baran most recently, two of those guys played with them. They all said it. There's no better guy to ever play the position. And, you know, I got more, you know, in, into it more with Shields than I did with Baran. But um, he agreed. It was just, you know, if you put better talent in front of them down that year, there's no doubt they win the cup. No doubt. No, it, 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 when he because like I, I remember there was an article uh, in the paper. It might have, I'm not sure if it was here in Buffalo or if it was in Washington, but when the when when Washington beat them uh, in the in the in the semifinals the year before to get to the finals, when Washington made to the finals the year before nine, the '99 '98, and uh, um, he said we finally like they had all this confidence now because they finally realized they could beat Hashik. And he made – they only won like two, two to one or whatever it was. It was like some really low-scoring game. It was – you weren't coming in to play the Buffalo Sabres. You weren't – I mean, you were afraid – like, they were, you were afraid physically to play the Sabres because they were a hard-nosed team. You had guys like, you know, in the earlier days, Brett, uh, you know, Brad May, Barnaby, Ray, Bobby Boopner, all these like hard-nosed, you know, you go into a corner for a puck, you're going to be lucky to get out with your life type of guys. But you weren't afraid from uh, – you weren't afraid of the skill that came with the Sabres. No, no. You were afraid to go into Buffalo to play against Dominic Hasek straight. And, st- and then you look at his numbers and you know, there aren't like you, you compare them to Waugh and Broder. And if you would have put, you know, the types of teams in front of Hasek, the hall of fame teams that both Waugh and Marty had, there is no doubt in my mind, Hasek would own a record in record. If playing the hands down, yeah, hands hands down. down. Like you know, like you 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 don't win two back-to-back hearts, six Vesnas, a gold medal, two cups. You know, I know granted he had to go to Detroit to get those cups, but you don't have the the, none of those goalies have the kind of hardware he has. The individual hardware, they don't. No, and it's back-to-back hearts is unbelievable as a goal. Yeah, it'll never be done again, in my opinion. It'll by a goalie, it'll never be done ever again. Um, and uh, especially in today's NHL. Just, there's just no way. Um, but to, to do everything he did on a team like Buffalo, like, no way, man. Like, it, it was just like, 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 if you, like, you know, why it's sacking Forsberg, Haydu, you know, Bork in his later years, um, you know, Marty had, you know, Danico, um, Scott Stevens, you know, Niedermeyer. Uh, you know, yeah, Niedermeyer, <laughs> you, you know, like, um, Patrick. Giada, Gomez, yeah, um, yeah. Yep. Just... Um, Bill Guerin was was there too, was he not? Bill Guerin, yep. yeah. You know he had all these Hall of Fame players. Wah had, you know, even in Montreal, Wah had Hall of Fame players with him. Um, yeah. It was just, you know, actually never fucking had that man. He had to be Hall of Fame players with him. <laughs> no, he did it. Just like, all by himself. Know, he was literally just hanging out by himself. You know, maybe he liked it that way. I don't know, but. Um, 
you know, you look at Eichel now and the way the team is now, and you, you, it's very comparable to the way they built around Hashik back then because they just didn't. And I hope, I, you know, I hope, I hope the hell that they do. And the business with Rochester is even more sad because I'm sure you guys read that he has a special needs kid that now won't have health insurance. And they dropped this bomb on him. He says he wasn't expecting. He's the only, he's the only winning coach this ownership group has had in a decade. The only yeah. one. It, 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 you know, it, it's mind blowing to me that, and here, and here, and here's where I know, cause I know they had him and Botterill had a verbal agreement on an extension. Um, this is where I know Terry and Kim are full of shit when it comes to everything that money motivated is, you know, you, you use the words um, that Chris Taylor wasn't on board with their vision for Rochester, that Rochester is supposed to be a place where players are going to develop rather than, you know, being put there to win games. And by that, they mean, you know, you're going to want to have veterans there, bring in like veteran, veteran players and, and keep them there to, to win games. But since when, and I've been coaching for a decade now, and I've been playing my whole since fucking when is winning, not a part of development. When? Oh, it's I'd huge. Because like ask Christmas, 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 line in how losing his entire career has been for his development because it's been pretty fucking shitty. Yeah. Like, and he going to tell you, he was, he was losing by far before he was with, he's, he, he flat out said he's never been a part of a winning hockey culture ever, ever. That that's depressing. Like I, I just, I feel bad for him so much. Like I, I hope that obviously the Sabres and the Canucks my my dream scenario is that we end up facing each other in the finals one day. That's my dream oh, is that we have a 1970 expansion final. Uh, so I, I'm hoping. Uh, obviously, Canucks have to clean up their act a little bit as well, but much more so on the Buffalo side of things, and we meet there one day. But it was awesome having you on, uh, being able to talk uh, Sabers, which obviously we don't get to talk about much over here. But with all the news that have come out. Uh, about the Sabres it's nice to get somebody local that uh that follows the team as closely as you do to come and and kind of express the the frustration that I mean we get to see from the outside perspective but we don't get to see it from an inside so uh thanks so much for coming on yeah no problem and if uh, if you don't mind me giving the humble plug you know uh, absolutely I was just gonna ask two goalies two goalies one mic uh with me and Johnny Cullen um, and obviously with Crossing Swords podcast out of Trainwreck Sports, you know, this train never stops, baby. Uh, you know, custom made koozies if you're looking for one for your, for your sellers. Uh, but, um, with, you know, with that all being said, I really appreciate man. And honestly, man, I could have talked to another two hours about this team hands down, man. We won't, we only honestly scratch the surface of oh, yeah. the frustrations of the city, man. It's, it goes so much far deeper than that. And uh, I appreciate the time, man. And, you know, I, I definitely gained a new favorite team in the West through this last week since, since that interview on TSN because you guys have been nothing but absolute beauties over there in, uh, over there in the North, man. I, I love it. You know, it, may, it gives you more motivated to come up there for a game sometime. That's for sure. I was just going to say you'll have to come and visit sometime and we'll, we'll go and get drinks and go to a game. Yeah, you let us Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys let me know if you're ever in Buffalo. I mean, you know, it's a lot different than what people say here. It, it, it is a lot nicer, you know, th- thanks to the Ghouls. I, like I said, I'll admit that. It is, it is a lot nicer in downtown Buffalo now. Um, but absolutely, the same goes for you guys. Let me know, and I'll treat you to a good night out for sure. Uh, Sounds great. Real we'll good hit night the out. town in Buffalo. Perfect. Yep. 
So thanks awesome. again, guys. Yeah, you bet. Take care, man. You too. From Sean Warren and the Area 51 podcast, thank you for listening, and please like, share, and follow along as we continue to grow. Join in the conversation on social media. We also now have new merchandise available on our own website. You can find it there on shop.spreadshirt.ca backslash Area 51 Hockey Podcast, and you can grab some great merch. Thanks again, and stay tuned for the next episode of the Area 51 Hockey Podcast. Cheers.